Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. September is National Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, and we are starting to talk about this this today because, you know, you may not realize, but over 800 men are diagnosed with prostate cancer right here in the islands every year. And that's a lot of people. Now, the treatment options are not always just very straightforward. There's actually, like we said, a lot of different options out there. And often when men are faced with making a decision about what treatment to choose, they need more information. It's not always a cut and dry sort of situation. And sometimes they need to hear from people who have been through that treatment and also talk with their providers and their physicians about what might be most appropriate for them. So right here in the studio, I am joined by my experts today, Dr. David Way. He is currently at Kaiser Permanente, and he's been in the field of urology for as long as I've known you, Dr. Way, like decades. Since 2001. All right, decades. I'm aging both of us. And we also have Gary Kim. He is the head of the Prostate Cancer Support Group. He's the facilitator at Polymomy Medical Center. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Glad, glad to be here. Now, Gary, you have a very interesting, unique situation. You are the facilitator of a support group, but you also have experienced this firsthand. So you tell me about your diagnosis of prostate cancer and how that came about. Okay. Uh, I first got diagnosed in uh, November of 2011 with a PSA of 18.8, Gleason score of 6, which at that time was considered low grade. Uh, Didn't quite like what my urologist uh, options that he gave me, so I was very fortunate to switch over to Dr. Wei, uh, who became my uh, urologist, and uh, it was very uh, good that he gave me uh, many more options to to consider, uh, one of which I I did decide on. Um, One of the things that I would tell newly diagnosed patients is that... uh, when they first get their uh, biopsy report, the pathology which indicates that cancer is present is to to get a second opinion because uh, in my case, I'm one of the select, I I think I'm in that 20% where that pathology report could could vary, could actually have different readings. Mm -hmm. And uh, I subsequently got my uh, pathology report uh, reviewed by three different labs, uh, one at Polymomy, one at Queens, and one at MD Anderson in Houston. And I, I had three different readings from the same tissue sample. So given that you're making an important decision here on, on the, on the sever- severity of the cancer, I think it'd be wise to, to get a second, maybe even a third opinion on your pathology report. Uh, I subsequently had, I had three different readings. One was a Gleason 6, 3 plus 3, uh, Queens gave me a, a on the same tissue sample a Gleason seven four plus three, mm. and subsequently MD Anderson gave me a Gleason seven three plus four. So three different pathologists looked at the same tissue sample, and uh, so that that to me was part of my journey. Uh, something that I would advocate for newly diagnosed men to consider to get a second opinion on their pathology report. Uh, one of the things that Dr. Wei gave me the option to do was to do hormone therapy up front. Uh, a lot of men would look towards either surgery or radiation right after diagnosis. 
he gave me the option of doing hormone therapy, which I then uh, decided to do because, one, for financial reasons, and, and for secondly, uh, it gave me time to decide on what treatment option I wanted to pursue. Um, I also did, during that time, uh, while I was on uh, hormone therapy, uh, went to consult with a prostate cancer specialist in, in, in Los Angeles, Dr. Mark Schultz, who then did a color Doppler imaging on me. And that at that time, uh, it gave me more information on whether I had other lesions within my gland and uh, some indication of whether metastasis had, had, had occurred outside of the gland. Uh, to make things short, after much uh, research during that time, I, I did opt for proton beam radiation therapy at uh, MD Anderson uh, in 2012. And uh, after that, I then did another thing that was somewhat unique at the time because uh, not too many doctors were prescribing hormone therapy right after radiation. Uh, so I opted to do this. The whole purpose of that was to uh, target any microscopic cells that may have been left behind. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went through that, and after five years now, I've been in remission. My current PSA is at point one, so... Short story short, I'm, I'm so far so good. Well, that certainly sounds like a long journey, and it's taken you several years to go through that process. I have a couple of questions, and Dr. Wei, I think you, mm -hmm. I'm very glad you're able to join us today to help explain glad some of these here. different nuances. Yeah, mm -hmm. thank you for coming. Now, one of the first things that strikes me is, you know, a lot of times people will get, or men will get this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Is it often based on symptoms, or is it based on routine PSA testing, or what is the current recommendation for so, PSA? So, so for the most patients... You know, prostate cancer is not going to present with any type of symptom. They're not going to have blood in the urine. There's not going to be any urinary difficulty. So right now, majority of the prostate cancer patients are picked up through the PSA screening still. So uh, U.S. Preventive Service Task Force in 2011-2012 published a report recommending not to have PSA screening because of the certain studies in the past indicating that PSA might result in overdiagnosis of prostate cancer, which lead to overtreatment of the prostate cancer, but but that was kind of controversial. That was to very just say, okay, just don't do it at all. Seemed like exactly. a bit radical of and, a and, decision. And with, with that that publication, a lot of people stopped doing PSA screening, and the consequence of that, more people were diagnosed to have metastatic late stage prostate cancer in the last few years. So now. Um, the recommendation has been elevated from a level D up to a level C. And um, the age of screening is still going to be up to about age uh, 69, from 50 to 69. But at the end of the day, um, prostate cancer is still the most common type of cancer amongst American male, And you still have to have a PSA screening. Whether or not you want to proceed to the next step of prostate biopsy or having a prostate cancer treatment, it's a discussion that you should have with your provider. So given the, given the option to doing the test, and then the idea is the selective decision-making about what you want to do if the test is elevated. Exactly. It's better to know than not knowing, and then you have the choices of making decisions afterwards. Sure. Informed choice means you need information. Okay. Now, is it that unusual for someone to have a variance in their pathology report? I mean, I think it, a lot of times we sort of expect, oh, here's the pathology. Of course, that's what it is. There's not going to be a difference. But there are some nuances with prostate cancer. 
Right. So, so the pathology, um, the pathology slides are read, read, read by pathologists. They're looking at the histology. They look at the morphology of the prostate cancer tissues. So it really largely depends on the experience of the center where you have the biopsy done. Um, places like Queen, they have 14, 15 active urologists who did prostate biopsy on a daily basis. You're going to have a large volumes of tissue for them to to look at. So obviously, pathologists they are going to be very experienced. They're going to see, you know, I, I dare to say, you know, maybe 20, 30 pathology slides on, on a weekly basis. Versus a, a medical center that doesn't do a whole lot of prostate biopsy, they may not have as many pathologists with that kind of experience, so might come up with a different conclusion. And that could mean the difference between active surveillance or doing some other kind of treatment. I'm glad you mentioned that. So um, a lot of patients, you know, even though with the elevated PSA, they might come, you know, with a diagnosis of low-grade prostate cancer. And the primary treatment nowadays for low-grade prostate cancer, which means Gleason 6 prostate cancer or group 1 prostate cancer, is active surveillance. That means no surgery, no radiation, but just having a PSA blood test every six months and maybe every 18 to 24 months have a prostate biopsy or a multiperimetric MRI study. So the important thing is you got to know what kind of cancer you have. And so with the prostate biopsy, it's going to allow you to know if you have low-grade or high-grade cancer. If you're low-grade, don't worry about it. But another thing that's very important is compliance. you got to have a regular follow-up. It's not like... You have this cancer, don't worry about it, you're going to be fine. Because at the end of the day, too, is 30 40% of the time, the cancer could progress and you will need the next stage of the treatment. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. David Way from Kaiser Permanente and Gary Kim, the facilitator of the Prostate Cancer Support Group at Polymomi. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about that term, active surveillance, and what are some of the treatment options that are presented to men, and look at what Gary's treatment process was, and if that followed what we now do on a routine basis, or if there are some new treatments out there and available. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. David Way, currently practicing at Kaiser Permanente, and Gary Kim. He is the facilitator of the US2 support group at Polymomi Medical Center. Now, right before the break, we were defining a term called active surveillance. I know that sometimes people had this impression of watchful waiting as a very passive approach. And then active surveillance sounds like this is something active that we're going to do periodically. And you mentioned, Dr. Way, that the key is that you have to follow up. So you wouldn't want to say, okay, I have this I have this low-grade prostate cancer. I'll check in in a couple of years. The idea of surveillance is that you come in periodically and you do testing depending on the interval that's appropriate for you or some kind of imaging study. Exactly. So um, active surveillance is for patients who have low-grade prostate cancer. And because it's low-grade, potentially a person can live for the rest of his life without any decrement to his ex- life expectancy without any treatments at all, you know, treatment. So so for the active surveillance, 
you just need to have blood tests once every six months. And then you're going to have um, either prostate biopsy or multiparametric MRI study once every 18 to 24 months. Depends on what kind of programs you are on. And that MRI study you describe, multiparametric, that's a very particular type of MRI. Exactly. So it's not just looking at the anatomical uh, uh, anatomies of the prostate. It's actually looking at the lesion, looking for lesion that will increase the um, blood flow, the uptake of the contrast in this particular area. So so it's popular now, and um, Palomomi, I know, has uh, multiparametric uh, MRI capability, um, so as Straub's and, and Queen's, as well as Kaiser. So all the major medical centers now here in Honolulu have the ability to do multiparametric MRI studies. Now, what if somebody has, as Gary did, a Gleason score that was higher than the active surveillance group? His was seven when double-checked in two different pathology departments. Mm-hmm. Does that define more treatment orientation? So uh, according to the NCCA guideline, when you have the intermediate prostate cancer, which is Gleason 3 plus 4, it could be Gleason 3 plus 4 favorable or Gleason 4 plus 3 that's unfavorable. So for Gleason 3 plus 4 favorable type, you could still go on active surveillance. But the alternatives will be either radiation or surgery. And how does someone make that choice? Because those are two sort of separate, distinct pathways to take. Mm -hmm. And I know that for men who are often diagnosed, a lot of that stress of the decision is given to them. They're given the options of radiation. They're given the options of surgery. What sort of information do they need to make the most appropriate choice for them? So a, a lot of time is the um, the family members or friends who have the experience of the prostate cancer, not infrequently, I will run into patient, 55 years old, young patient, um, and say, hey, my dad had a surgery. He did pretty well. I want to have a surgery too. Okay. And then given the fact the guy is young, he has at least another 25 to 30 years life expectancy. And along the way, his prostate might get larger. He might start having problems with the urination. So robotically assisted laparoscopic prostatectomy, which is the standard for surgery nowadays for prostate cancer, is probably the best consideration for a young person. And with a robotic technique, you could focus on saving the nerve so the person can still maintain somewhat of a good erection and also would have a good continence after the procedure. Two of the big issues, which would be erectile dysfunction and also bladder uh, incontinence, sure. That's exactly right. So then for a patient who wants to have radiation, obvious number one is patient who just don't want to go to operating room, don't want to have a surgery. And number two is probably uh, patients tend to be a little bit older in the uh, late 60s, in the 70s, and they probably have another 10, 15 years of life expectancy, but they don't want to go through the surgical procedure. They just want to do a radiation or some type of procedure to stop the cancer from growing or totally kill out the cancer. So it's it's non-invasive at all with the radiation. Now, there's different types of radiation. There's external beam, there's prostate seed implants, right. and then Gary mentioned proton beam. So what are the difference in those types of so, radiation? So um, the efficacies are all about the same, and it's kind of interesting that um, a lot of people are sort of interested in proton beam radiation treatment now more than before, ostensibly because it could be much more effective. But the study have shown that it's probably going to be equally effective the biggest difference, I think, is the cost. Uh, for the regular external beam radiation, which is readily available here in Hawaii, it's probably going to be about 15000 to 20, 
$5,000 for the entire course of treatment. But for proton beam to build up that cyclotron machine, it costs upward to you know, $500, $600 million. So to recoup the cost, um, they invariably charge more. So, so the cost of the proton beam radiation treatment would be about thirty-five dollars to $40,000. And it's not available here in Honolulu. Closest one is going to be Loma Linda in Cal- Southern California. So there's travel associated with that as well. Right. And then consider uh, treatment is just not one-day affair. It's going to require at least uh, four to six weeks of a treatment. So you might have to stay in a place, in a hotel, for about a month to you know, a month and a half for just that treatment. And what about the seed implants? So the seed implant is called brachytherapy. It's putting radiation seeds, d- directly deposit them in the prostate. It requires a trip to the operating room, but usually it's going to be no bleeding, and you go home the same day. So that's usually reserved for low-grade prostate cancer. It's ideal probably for low-grade Gleason 6 prostate cancer. With the Gleason 7, um, it's certainly probably started considered uh, in conjunction using the uh, uh, hormonal therapy for that level of prostate cancer. And that brings up the next question. Where does hormone therapy fit into this, and what sort of hormones are we trying to block? So prostate cancer requires testosterone for growth. And um, so if you were able to block out the testosterone production in the body, then the prostate cancer does not get a nutrient, then it's not going to grow anymore. So for a long time before we start doing surgery in the 70s, back in the 50 hormonal therapy, we're talking about removing both testicles, were the standards of treatment for prostate cancer. So nowadays, there are medications that we can give it to you, and it comes in a depot form. That means you get a shot. It's good for four months, three months, or even a year. That's going to shut down the testosterone production in the body. So for radiation treatment, it's recommended a person should get at least four to six months of hormonal therapy prior. Now, for high-grade type of prostate cancer, you may have to get additional two years of hormonal therapy afterwards. So this would be with the routine injections, and is there some way that that needs to be monitored? So after the treatment, either radiation or surgery, you will be monitored for your PSA level. So after the surgery, your prostate is entirely removed. If you are cured, you are in remission, your PSA level should be undetectable. Sure, there's no, there's no prostate right. left to make that PSA. Exactly. Now, for the radiation, it's a little bit different in the sense that you still have the prostate. There's still going to be some prostate tissue making PSA. So you are looking for the nadir or the lowest level of your PSA, which could be, in Gary's case, 0.1, which is great. Less than one usually is good. So you want to follow that for a few years. First two years, you're going to have fluctuation of the PSA, but then afterwards, it's going to stabilize. And you want to look for a stable, low PSA level that will indicate that you have remission from the prostate cancer. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Gary Kim. We're going to hear about his experience as a sport group facilitator. And Dr. David Way from Kaiser Permanente. He is a urologist with specialization in the treatment of prostate cancer. We'll be right back after this quick break.
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. David Way from Kaiser Permanente. He is a urology specialist in the treatment of prostate cancer. And Gary Kim, he is a prostate cancer support group facilitator. And at the top of the show, we talked about his diagnosis of having prostate cancer, the treatment course that he took. And tell us again, Gary, right now you're doing very well. Uh, Right now my PSA is at 0.1 and I'm pretty much been in remission the last five years. And so you go in periodically for follow-up, and you make sure that everything stays that way. But for now, you're considered in remission. Yeah, I check my PSA every six months right now. And that's good. And you make sure to do that because Uh that's the idea of follow-up and surveillance. Right. If my PSA were to start rising, it would mean that the cancer has come back. And then you would choose some other treatment options. Then I would look at treatment options uh, for that recurrence, right? Now, often when people are are diagnosed with this, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of folks may not know exactly what the best treatment for them is. And a lot of physicians want to do their best to explain what the options are. And in doing so, it sometimes adds that diagnostic decision or that that treatment decision onto a layperson who has usually to ask a bunch of other folks what their experiences and kind of wants to get the firsthand opinion as to what happened. And you're in a unique position. So support groups are not necessarily just for survivors. Who should go to a support group? Well, I truly believe that uh, all prostate cancer patients, when especially if they're initially diagnosed or if their cancer has come back, uh, we encourage uh, members to join. Uh, we take the time to go over their options. Uh, many times doctors don't have the time, I think. They're so... We have a doctor shortage here. They has patient. They have patient overload. Uh, it's it's you know. And the other thing is that many things. Uh, there's so many new developments in the last five years or so in terms of diagnostic testing and in terms of treatment options. Uh, there's a movement towards combination of treatment options. And so, uh, by joining the support group, you you tend to learn about these things. Uh, not just the treatment options, but also the side effects of incontinence and uh, erectile dysfunction, um, fatigue, uh, if, if you're talking about hormone therapy, mm-hmm. um, bone density loss, all these different things that are associated with different treatments. Um, well, and I think one of the biggest benefits is you get to talk to someone who's actually had that type of treatment. And then you can talk to someone who maybe had a different type of treatment or talk to three or four people that had an experience. And by gathering all that data, it just gives you a little bit more of a wider perspective. Plus, you know, to be honest, I mean, I've, I've, I don't have a prostate. I am probably never, <laughs> I can with certainty say I am not going to get prostate cancer. <laughs> so it's often hard for me to say to a patient, okay, here's exactly what you should do because there are nuances to the treatment and there's different side effects and someone's perception of the severity of that side effect might be altered by the fact that I, I don't know what that feels like, but you do. And you may be able to explain that to someone much better than I ever could. Uh, I think that's true. Um, I do take the time to put it more in layman's terms, what what the treatment options are, uh, try to explain to them terminology that's used and whatnot. I think, though, that one of the most important things that I I learned, and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and I try to express that to our members, is that every member's cancer is different. There are no two prostate cancers that are alike in terms of of 
the genetic uh, mutations that caused it to begin with in terms of size of the lesions, in terms of the location, in terms of their Gleason scores. There's a lot of variations uh, that can, can take place in any one man's cancer. So uh, we, we stress to our members to be their own advocate, to, to understand their cancer, and then to try to match up treatment options that will match up with their, their particular cancer. And that way, you can give them that firsthand experience, yes. but then somebody doesn't have to have chosen their treatment to come to your support group. No. Uh, we, we, in fact, we encourage men to, to come to our support group uh, before treatment. And, uh, and then also after. And, and after, uh, and because uh, approximately 30% of men, even after treatment, primary treatment, their cancer will come back. And so, especially as if their grade is uh, eight, nine, ten, uh, initial treatment, their their chances of the cancer to come back is is much higher. And so, we 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 not only once your cancer comes back, treatment options will become much more difficult, uh, especially if the cancer has metastasized. So, uh, we 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 go through all of that with them. And how would someone find out about these support groups? It's not just here on Oahu. There's, and it's not just at Polymomi Medical Center. There's other places where it is as well. How yes. would people find out more? We have a link, a, a website, hawaiiprostatecancer.org. We encourage uh, any new, new person to, to go to that website. And on that website, we have uh, the three support groups that are I- in Hawaii. We have one at Kuakini Hospital, one at Polymomi, and one in Hilo on the Big Island. So uh, those, those support groups meet once a month, and uh, we have uh, other information as far as uh, related to prostate cancer on that website. Well, that's a great way for folks to get more information and do a little bit of research. Uh, Dr. Wei, when you make a mm-hmm. diagnosis of prostate cancer for someone, what sort, of, what sort of resources do you suggest that they look to to get more information? Well, certainly, um, if they have close family members or any friend they know who have history of prostate cancer and have some treatment experience, I encourage them to talk to them. And then secondly, join the us Two support group, I think, is probably one of the best ideas. They are usually people who um, probably know more about prostate cancer than the urologists in reality. And sometimes they will pose questions that I didn't even know about or you know, I have to do further research to get the answer. So, yes, I mean, they certainly should participate in us two type of support group to get more information from. And like Gary was saying earlier, I mean, doctor now, they're just so busy. There is no way a doctor is going to spend half an hour with you in the office to discuss different treatment options. So now you got this dedicated group of people who have a lot of knowledge and experience in terms of prostate cancer treatment, and they can spend the whole night with you talking about different treatment options. Well, and speaking of spending the whole night, there's an educational conference coming up. Right. So um, at the University of Hawaii Cancer Center, the sixth annual prostate cancer forum is going to be taking place on Thursday, September 19, 2019, between 5 and 8 p.m. And so there's RSVP. You can call this number, a 0 a 564 no later than Friday, September 13, 2019, to make the RSVP. Again, the number is 808-564-3970. And I see your face on there. Yes. You're going to be part of that event. 
I will be the speaker for the urologist. And then there are going to be other doctors representing the medical oncology, radiation oncology, as well as the nuclear medicine. Well, it sounds like a great opportunity for everybody to get more information, not just for for people who are unfortunately diagnosed with this, but also for some of the medical personnel, you know, even some of the clinicians who might want to know about what is the latest in the treatment and diagnosis and management of prostate cancer. So there's a lot of learning available out there, and there will be some links to our Facebook page for those of you who want to get more information. I want to thank you, Gary Kim, facilitator for the S2 group at Polymomy Medical Center. And thank you to Dr. David Way from Kaiser Permanente, urologist. We've known one another almost 20 years now. 20 years. And uh, thank you. It does, I'll tell you. Thank you for all that you do and for all you continue to do for our patients here in the islands. If you'd like to click uh, on hawaiipublicradio.org, you can hear the show again. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. Mm-hmm.